0: This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For Every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. Hello everyone, I'm Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another healthcare podcast. Today, we're gonna be chatting with Dr. Peter Greeney. He's the founder of WorkCare Incorporated, and Dr. Greeney is coming on the podcast to give us a little more information on the impact of work and going back to work when you're recovering from a work-related injury or illness. There's a lot to unpack there, a lot of misconceptions and points of mismanagement around the majority of workplace injuries, and we'll get a better sense for what is the right plan of action when your employee does experience a workplace injury, from a small one to a large one, and how do they recover best? Is it at home? Is it at the workplace? Dr. Peter Greeney is here to explain. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you on. Um, You know, I saw that you focused your studies from the very beginning on occupational and environmental medicine. What drew you to that side of the healthcare industry when, you know, you knew you wanted to specialize? Why was it that route? Well,
1: it was sort of accidental at first, but uh, I had always been interested in prevention. Uh, Too many of my earlier encounters in the primary care setting was reminding people to take their medicine, to get some exercise, to stop smoking. And week after week, you saw the same people come back with the same complaints, and I didn't seem to be able to move the needle very much. And then I was invited to a seminar on preventive medicine, and I flipped residencies from family medicine to do a joint residency with prevention and in particular, uh, occupational health care, which is like public health for the employed population, how to keep them healthier, how to keep them at work, how to fulfill their lives a bit better through the practice of prevention.
0: Well, Dr. Greeny, it sounds like you have a lot of passion for this side of the medical industry, so I'm glad this is where we're focusing our conversation today, I'd like to start our conversation by asking you what is the biggest misconception or the biggest point of mismanagement, maybe both, around the majority of workplace injuries? Well, that's a
1: loaded question.
0: Um, Yes, it sure is. You know, I think people tend
1: to neglect this aspect of management and defer to the insurance company to put things right. I, I once recall a Large client telling me, Dr. Greeny, we spend more on bottled water than workers' compensation. So why should we be interested? <laughs> well, peop- <laughs> Pro- probably not a good thing to hear. <laughs> not really, <laughs> uh, for you know, because th- we spend way too much—maybe two billion dollars a week—treating uh, w- common, trivial workplace injuries and the consequences. And and I'd like to focus more today on the consequences. I mean, a person out of work is not a healthy setting. Um, we, I have one client and she says, Dr. Greeny, we know that when people are not at work, bad things happen. And, and, and just for our listeners today to understand what the value of work is and staying at work and how work and health are interlinked. Work matters and health counts. And um, keeping people at work is fundamental to the management of these injuries. You know, we've done, come a long way with safety in the past few years, and we've seen a 50% decline in work injuries. However, 50% of these injuries still involve days away from work or lost time. And the average amount of days is eight days per injury. So it's these trivial injuries that, you know, if these had happened to an individual while they were not at work, they would have adjusted, uh, got some resiliency went about their business, self-managed it, and continued their life activities. However, when this happens at work and it's not managed appropriately, bad things happen. And they get over-treatment, they are taken out of work inappropriately. And you know, if they're out of work for longer than 12 weeks, 25% of them will never return to that job. And, And ultimately, two years from then, they'll be at a lower social economic class. They'll not only have the effects of the injury, but they'll be burdened by all of the other bad consequences, such as depression. They're at higher risk for suicide. They're at higher risk for cancer. And their whole lives are affected. And the lives of their loved ones and children are also adversely affected, mainly because somebody didn't do the right thing in the early days of that injury management. And, and those right things are to promote earlier reporting, to get them advice as quickly as possible, to make sure that they get into the proper setting to get that advice, and most important of all, that they stay at work or return to work soon afterwards. So, you know, again, like I said, we've done well with the injury management, but we haven't done well with the lost time. And our college, uh, those of us who participate in the occupational sphere, certainly make the connection between that return to work and and the person's overall physical and mental health. And I noticed this way back in my early days treating injuries. You know, there were a lot of trivial injuries, but those that stayed at work or returned to work always did better so I found myself saying, you know, as part of your treatment, my job as a physician to make sure you get better as quickly as possible. And staying at work is what I know works with your, with your health. And, and, and so only your supervisor can make the decision to take you off of work. My role as a healer is to advise you, you know, if you do this, maybe you're going to delay your healing. If you do it frequently, perhaps there's going to be a negative impact. But I also know that exercise is important to your overall well-being and to your ability to recover. So I'm going to have you attend to work. I'm going to identify things that I think you shouldn't do. Let's talk to your supervisor and make sure you get accommodated at work, because you staying at work is going to be fundamental to me doing my job in making sure that you get better from this event.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like those kind of conversations are a lot easier to have the smaller the company because there's already going to be a more personal culture between owner or CEO and, um, I guess, you know, the lowest person on the chain of command totem pole, right? And so everyone from the bottom to the top and in between... Is a little more familiar, and there is probably a better sense of communication. But as your company expands and you start branching out in several different directions, I think that management can get harder. Um, where often do you see companies miss the mark the most? You know, what what is the easiest fix that is also the biggest challenge for some of the larger companies in? Monitoring or identifying when their employees need to be checked up on because of a, an injury or an illness, um, you know, is it the communication? Is it the culture? Is it supervision? What do you see? Well, that's a big, big question.
1: Uh, first of all, let me the misperception is that smaller companies manage better, and I don't think that that's true. I mean, the majority of the U.S. health or workforce is with smaller mom and pop employers. And and I think that they chills go down their spine when they hear a person has a an injury at work because they don't know how to handle it. They uh have a mismatch of information coming at them from all sides, uh brokers, other small employers who have had very uh um bad outcomes from a a, a trivial injury. Um you know, not having a, an inbred uh, human resource department. Um, so, first of all, they need a plan for an injury. All employers need a plan for an injury. Have a venue where they can send their employees. Go to that venue. It, typic, I bet I, uh, the best setting is an occupational health clinic. And uh, Go to that clinic. Talk to the physician in charge. Talk to the account management people there. Set, ask them hypothetical questions. What are you going to do when I send you an injured worker? And if return to work is not on the tip of their tongue, you may be in the wrong setting. Um, don't rely on your insurance carrier. Um, again, uh, you're not going to get any. I mean, we as an employer, uh, back when we had 150 workers, we had just three workers' compensation claims over a 24-month period. Yet it cost us $100,000 for trivial events because we did not have control over what our workers comp carrier was doing. So you have to understand that this is not their priority. It's your priority. Uh, You have to have a nurturing culture. You have to promote early reporting. And and return to work needs to be part of the dialogue and, and Setting expectations that return to work is important for people's recovery.
0: And I feel like we focused a lot of the conversation on the individual here, which we will get back to. But I want to look at the company itself. How do you think workplace injury mismanagement directly impacts revenue stream and efficiency? I mean, I think the <laughs> the answer feels pretty obvious, but I bet there's more to it than the obvious. So dissect that for me. Well, if if the
1: you know if the uh, a third of the injuries result in days away from work or some sort of restricted duty days, and the average is eight days, you could figure it out real quick. At, you know, a prevailing wage of $15 an hour, you could find the direct costs, okay? That's pretty easy, $800 uh, a day, $800. But the indirect costs are are twice as, as um, onerous. So you have to have a replacement worker. You may lose opportunities for your industry. Uh, you assume he's going to come back. If the average is eight days, like I said, if they're out of work for 12 weeks, only 25% of them will ever come back. And if you're a small employer, you have a lot invested in the training of your workers. So you're going to lose a lot of opportunities uh, with that. So, again, planning for the injury, uh, 10% of workers, you know, will get injured in any one year. So if you have 50 employees, you can imagine you're going to have a case or two a year. So setting a venue for their treatment, training the supervisors in how to approach that injured worker, not being judgmental, not, you know, thinking of all the paperwork you're going to fill out. You need to express empathy. You know, uh, don't let safety uh, hazards go unmentioned. That's that's a key finding. When a worker comes to you and says, hey, I think this is unsafe, you have to address it head on and not let that, uh, you know, go unresolved. Because if the person does get injured now, in addition to the consequences of the injury, they'll be angry at you. And that will drive the process. And understanding that, you know, these things do not occur in a vacuum. So keeping them at work, you know, allows you to address some of these issues that are side effects, uh, as it might be to the injury itself, the, you know, the psychosocial uh, dynamics.
0: So Dr. Greeney. A lot of your personal methodologies and the methodologies of Work Care Incorporated place a lot of emphasis on getting employees back to work because with a positive work culture and being around the people that they spend, you know, the majority of their time with and also just being in the environment that that they're used to and encouraging, um, you know, faster recovery often leads to better results for those patients. So give me more specifics on why you see encouraging employees to return to work really work for them and help them recover from these workplace injuries? Well, we know that
1: worklessness is bad for you. You know, there, like I said, there's a 20% chance of increased death rate, heart disease, and other chronic conditions manifest. People who are out of work report uh, poor self-reports of well-being. They have poor mental health, they are two to three times the risk of having a mental illness, such as depression and anxiety, and there are higher rates of hospitalization and suicides. So the weight of evidence for the last 20 years show that people who are out of work are at greater risk of negative health consequences. So work itself creates a lot of status, builds our self-esteem, it helps us define our our identity. Um, So staying at work has the strongest effect on positive case outcomes of all of the treatment options. So doing actually promotes recovery. We know that there is a a very strong link between the amount of steps you take per day and your longevity. And in fact, the threshold appears to be around 9,000 to 10,000 steps per day. So those that maintain activity of that degree live into their 90s uh, and, uh, and into their 100s. Whereas people who do not take that have not only higher health care costs but they have increased mortality and morbidity, so the links between health and work are well established, and the links and consequences of being out of work from a trivial occupational injury are also well established, not only with health care costs but also poorer outcomes and an increased risk of going on long term disability so I mean I I think what what's missing is the fact that a lot of providers don't get this relationship they think being a nice guy and taking a person out of work is is beneficial in fact it's not and 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 leads to poorer case outcomes and employers themselves especially the smaller ones don't get that relationship either and and you know they want to think they're doing the best thing for the employee, that rest will promote recovery. In fact, that's not the case. Activity promotes recovery. So if there's one thing, yeah, I'd like your audience to hear, is that activity promotes recovery and not the other. And minimal minimalistic treatment is always the best strategy for handling work injuries. You know, our the Department of Health and Human Services have looked to treat back pain, and they've determined, they have determined that over-treatment in the early stages of low back pain actually increases sickness behavior, promotes deconditioning, and, and is associated with a poorer outcome. Even if we did nothing in the first 12 weeks, 90% of cases of back pain will be normal and, and resolve itself. But we also know that those that maintain activity, especially during the acute phase, always can shorten that length of time that that back pain is present for.
0: I think what's particularly interesting about this whole phenomena is that the industries that are going to be most affected by um, workplace injury mismanagement are the ones that really can't afford that kind of mismanagement. Um, You know, I think the industries where You see employees more prone to an injury are the ones that are more labor-intensive. And a lot of the trends we've been seeing are these labor-intensive industries like the pro-AV industry, um, architecture and construction industry, anything very hands-on like that. Often the core of the workforce is getting older, is aging out, and there isn't a lot of young blood to fill their shoes. And that's a whole other conversation, you know, that there's a lack of education around the potential um, career paths in those industries, and people just aren't very excited about joining those industries. But you know you see that domino effect you have older employees working tough jobs and if they have a workplace injury and the people running the show don't quite know what to do next when that happens which you would expect them to know how to do right because i mean if your whole industry is around labor-intensive work then you would expect um, pretty structured workplace injury management but if there isn't then you know you have employees out for a considerable amount of time and you don't really have the luxury of replacing them uh, because there really isn't anyone else to fill their shoes so i just think it's a pretty interesting paradigm there where you see you know you see one side of, of this affect other sides of it it's all it's all one big issue it sure
1: is you know we're at full employment here and and certain industries you know, no one's graduating high school saying, I want to be a lineman for my local utility. And here's a high-paying job, it, but it's very physically demanding. And, and you know, I, I think enlightened utility operators know that uh, they put a lot of training and resources into getting that lineman from a journey lineman through the apprenticeship to a, a fully functional lineman. And investments now need to be made into maintaining that person's health. So day one coaching, uh, better nutrition advice, uh, promoting activity and exercise, um, responding to pain immediately with the appropriate measures to keep them functional and to reduce the consequences of a long-term musculoskeletal defect. Uh, So I I see that happening in the larger employers. I I don't know that the smaller employers get it as much uh, or that, you know, the worker themselves get it. Uh, ironically, as workplaces have become healthier and we've focused a lot on safety, it's the worker himself that have become more unhealthy. You know, obesity rates are are quite alarming. Uh, Use of medications and substances of all types that could impair performance and and judgment issues is is widespread. Uh, Legalization of uh, cannabis uh, I I don't think of the long term as a healthy um step for our culture um but you know th- th- there there are lots of issues emerging at, at the same time then there's a lot of fear among workers about automation, artificial intelligence, robotics, are they going to be valued in the future? Y- yet some of our leadership in the tech industry are saying we're not going to have enough workers, we're not going to have enough programmers, enough data scientists. Uh, enough people who understand this milieu and where the you know next industrial revolution is.
0: So, Peter, let's get some more specifics. Uh, really. I think the best way to understand how this affects employees and how it affects the businesses they work for is to hear it firsthand from them. Um, Though we can't really get that on this podcast right now, I think we can get the next best thing, which is a story from you. So could you give me a moment? I mean, I know you've worked with a lot of employees suffering from minor to major workplace injuries. So give me a moment with a patient that really encapsulates the effect that you think positive workplace culture around injuries and illness plus that earlier return to work culture had on that employee and on the business
1: yeah i early in my career uh very early on before i fully understood the science behind return to work and the psychosocial effects of um that the psychosocial effects that manifest in the um, treatment of a of an injured worker. I came across a young guy who had low back pain. He was resistant to all of my efforts to promote activity uh, and return to employment in some capacity. Um, and you know, I I had seen a lot of of you know the the way m- back pain isn't necessarily always derived from uh, muscles uh, uh, that life stresses have a huge impact uh, on back pain and we call it somaticization. So I, I tried to do something that my behavioral uh, science uh, training had had in, in the family medicine sector had um, taught me and that was to look for other reasons for this person's delayed recovery. And I delved deeper into, you know, his lifestyle, I started to ask him in a non-threatening way about, you know, things at home, his relationships, um, marital, you know, uh, issues that, and and, and after, he didn't immediately open up to me, but, uh, you know, on the second and third visit, uh, after we had developed a relationship, he started to trust me more and you know revealed some of the issues that he was having outside of work that were impairing his ability to recover from his back pain and may even have been causing his back pain uh, initially so i worked with him i i asked him to go to some counseling and you know through the period of support that i was able to offer in the psychosocial realm he did recovery and and went back to work i'm not sure that his marital relationship recovered but at least he was able to deal with it in, in a, a more productive fashion
0: i think that's probably where you get a lot of passion for this is hearing those interpersonal stories and knowing that you know that one employee had their life changed because you know they were encouraged to return to work and they were put in a positive environment to recover. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be said there for business owners and people either looking to start their business or people that are already running their business about how to approach that with their workers. Um, you know, I, I think I feel it a lot at my job. Um, there's a really positive environment for you know, opening up to other people on your team, other people on other teams. Um, you know, finding ways to socialize in really positive ways. But also, you know, if you have something to say, then then you can say it. And there shouldn't be any reason to not divulge that you are feeling sick or you are struggling, um, you know, physically that you need some time off. And then how can the company help you? Um, you know, I think I think in today's Culture where we have a lot of young, um, you know, very idealistic people joining the workforce. Um, I think positive culture like that can really go a long way to building more thoughtful companies.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I, I hate to see this, you know, division between physical health and mental health, and and the right. fact that as a it, so- it's all very linked. Yeah, as a society, we're much easier to reveal, oh, you know, my back hurts or I have a headache or I didn't sleep well last night. And it's very l- less, uh, we, we're so vulnerable, you know, we don't want to be too vulnerable and open up the fact that, you know, maybe a loved one is struggling with drug use or maybe a loved one is, you know, in a very uh, unhealthy relationship. but you know i don't see the discon- i don't see the difference and and i think as a society we need to promote more of the behavioral mental health resources that we have you know in, in our society to to make us more resilient and and help us deal with these issues and and not focus always on the physical aspects like you said a large part of the musculoskeletal events that we see are indeed driven by behavioral and mental health issues.
0: So, Dr. Greeny, to wrap things up, I wanted to, I guess, bring up a point that maybe someone on the other side of the spectrum might say, uh, you know, while these statistics are promising, I feel like the mentality of, okay, you have an employee, he suffered a workplace injury, he's ill, um but we encourage them to return to work because that's where they're going to improve best i could see that being misconstrued as you know encouraging employees to work through injury and illness even if they could use the rest and could be seen as are you you know abusing your power over your employees what would you say to someone that brings up a point like that uh, to the research that you've done well i think it's it, it,
1: it comes back to the health professional managing that event and that professional needs to understand the value of work, but also what's needed for his or her individual patient. So, you know, understanding the relationship is one thing, managing to it is another, and and everybody is different. Uh, Everyone's going to respond differently, but writing an activity that is consistent with recovery is, you know, what we all desire. There's no evidence that, you know, a person will overdo it and make things work worse. But also the employer has a role to play in accommodating that uh, restriction that that doctor may put on an injured worker. Like if the doctor says, hey, I don't want you to do any overhead work because I know it's going to worsen your shoulder symptoms. It's up to the employer to create activity that would keep that individual as a valued member of the workforce while not abusing you know, the doctor's work restriction and accommodating the activity, changing some of his duties so that he doesn't have to do overhead work in the example I gave would be very important and a, a valued part of the return to work paradigm.
0: Well, Dr. Greeney, I'd really like to thank you for joining us on the podcast and expanding on this issue of workplace injury mismanagement. And how businesses should approach a more cultured and more positive, um, you know, uh, idea around bringing their employees back to work and, you know, seeing positive returns from that to encourage not only a more sustainable revenue stream for that company, but also to promote the well-being of their employees because they're the lifeblood of the company. And if you have happy employees, then you have a successful company. So thank you, Dr. Greeny, for joining us on the podcast and giving us your insight.
1: Oh, thank you it's been my pleasure
0: and thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast and if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts articles and video content from your favorite industries And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content i'm your host daniel litwin the voice of b2b till next time